0: Welcome to The Hills, all of you that are watching online around the world, and all of you in person at the Keller campus, at the West Fort Worth campus, and at the North Richard Hills campus. We are in the season of harvest. On November the 13th, uh, we're going to raise over $2.7 million, and has one goal, to make Jesus famous here in Tarrant County and around the world. And we are asking for nations and generations. We're in 40 days of prayer I invite you to join us on our YouTube page, and we'll give you prompts every single day. Today we're focusing especially on unreached people groups, and one reason they're unreached is because often they are in nations that are hostile to the Christian faith. And so we're focusing today especially on the persecuted church, and I'll say more about that in a moment. And one reason we're in this series called A Faith Worth Remembering is that we're trusting that hearing the stories Of people who walked with great faith that we're still talking about can inspire us to do more than we could ask or imagine in Jesus' name. We've seen that people that have a faith worth their memory walk the talk, they live in the future tense. And today, especially, we're going to see that people with a faith that we're still talking about choose courage. So, a church out in the country is having a revival. Uh, And the devil shows up. I mean, Lucifer himself. People freak out. They panic. They start running out of the building as fast as they can, except for one old man who just sits rigidly in his pew. The devil is perplexed and says, do you not know who I am? Yes, I do. Do you not know what I could do? Yes. I could have you tortured. Yes, I know that. I could have you killed. Yes, I know that. Then why are you not afraid of me? The old man said, because I've been married to your sister for 45 years. (laughs) So, We admire people who refuse to live an intimidated life. Think about it. That's why the stories that we tend to tell and retell more than any other kind of story often involve examples of exceptional bravery. So when you look at the list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, almost without exception, they all could be cited, for refusing to live an intimidated life. It is not because they never had a reason to fear. It's because they decided to boldly trust God and do the right thing in spite of their fear because faith worth remembering chooses courage. And when we think about the people in our lifetimes that we've known that live this way, they don't just elicit admiration. They prompt inspiration. We want to be like and even join the cause of people that are exceptionally brave. Think about in my lifetime, the courage of Dr. Martin Luther King. Imprisoned often, death threats on him and his family. And his courage inspired a nation to rise up and join him in the cause of civil rights. In the 1980s, we saw Lecholinsa, A shipyard electrician stand up to the communist regime in Poland, constantly thrown in jail, his family constantly harassed and under surveillance, and a nation rose up behind his courage and toppled that regime. He became the first democratically elected president of Poland. Then we think about Nelson Mandela who spent over half of his adult life unjustly in prison because he had the courage to speak against the evil system of apartheid. And his courage inspired a global village to join him in seeing that system come down. And even now, we think about Volodymyr Zelensky. This man was a stand-up comedian who ran for president in Ukraine and was elected And most thought when Russia invaded, he would fold, he would be too weak for the moment. Just the opposite. He has stood up to a narcissistic despot and said, we will not capitulate. And the world is rallying, inspired by his courage. Examples of bravery inspire us to throw off the shackles of slavery. Or to put it another way, courageous faith is contagious faith. We want to be like these people who live unintimidated. About 10 years ago, I was in Oxford, England, and I got to see the Martyrs Monument. It was dedicated to three men burned at the stake in the 1500s, the best known as Hugh Latimer. He was raised what he called a papist. He did not believe in the Reformation. He was there at the burning at the stake of Thomas Bilney, a reformer who was sentenced to die for the crime of trying to put the Bible in the language of the people. And Latimer was so inspired by his courage that he investigated and chose the cause of the Reformation, which is fine as long as your monarch is a Protestant. But when Queen Mary came to power, she ordered he and two others burned at the stake. He turned to one and said, we're lighting a candle today that will burn A flame all through England, and it did. And he was inspired to finish his life with bravery because he watched it in Thomas Bilney a generation earlier. Courageous faith is contagious faith. Now, the author of Hebrews is writing for a reason. There's a lot of Jews in the world that have come to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was their Messiah. And they've started following him, and now it's costing them. They're getting kicked out of synagogues. They're losing their job. They're being expelled from their families. The Roman Empire is increasingly becoming hostile to Christians. And a lot are starting to think you know, life was a lot safer when I was just a simple Jew. And they're being tempted to let go of Jesus. So he writes to them. And one thing he does to encourage them is he reminds them of their very best stories. That their very best stories were stories of courage. Of people that faced down fear with their faith. And some of their best stories were of their favorite hero, Moses. So we're going to start reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, most people who study the Bible associate Moses with law, but the Hebrew writer associates Moses with faith. In fact, Moses gets more attention in chapter 11 than anyone else except Abraham. And the thing that the writer chooses chooses to emphasize more than anything else is that Moses and his parents chose courage. They did not fear the king's edict. When he left Egypt, he did not fear the king's anger. God chooses people willing to make bold choices. And here's what you learned. When you make a bold decision to believe in God, you've set yourself up for a life of getting to make bold decisions. So let me show you what courageous faith looks like from the life of Moses. And the first thing is it means you choose your people. You cannot choose God and refuse his people. And so the writer says, by faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God Moses didn't see the Hebrew people as a nation of slaves he saw them as children of promise now no doubt this understanding was planted deep in him by his parents now, we'll talk more about that in a second but he got to live the first few years of his life with his Hebrew parents before he went to the palace of Pharaoh's daughter And they must have instilled in him a deep, deep sense of his identity as part of the people of God, which is what we must do for the next generation, because there are so many toxic identity narratives out there. A pastor I respect named Tim Keller talked about this. He said, there's the um, therapeutic narrative that says, you are what you feel, That your desires decide your identity, which never, ever is endorsed in the Scripture. That you trust your desires for your identity. Or the uh, victim narrative. Now, I know that marginalization and oppression exist. But again, Scripture never says to anyone, your primary identity is your victimhood. Now, today across the world, there's a growing new narrative called nationalism. Tribalism. I'm not talking about patriotism. I'm talking about a narrative that says, we are us and you are them. And because you are not us, you are less than. There's even a sick Christian version that wraps the cross in a flag and says, if you're not my kind of American, you're not even a Christian. See, from the right and from the left, there are all these toxic identity narratives. And if we don't tell the next generation who they are, the culture will. And so we speak up and we say, You were created by God, male and female in the image of God. You are covered in the blood of Christ. You are sealed by the Spirit of Christ, and you are a citizen of a kingdom that is destined to reign in a new heaven and a new earth. That is who you are. And to maintain that identity, there's going to come a time when you've got to go public about your community. Who are my people? I find it interesting that the Hebrew writer knows when people are intimidated, they begin to isolate. One chapter before chapter 11, he said this to them. Let's not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be afraid to go public and choose your people. When I was 11, I was baptized at the church where I was raised. Uh, That meant I could take communion. That was important to me. The problem is the very next chance to take communion was the same time a football banquet where I was going to get a letter jacket. I'd never gotten one before. I made the decision to go to church and take communion. I'm not here to put down or bash anything about youth sports, but I'm telling you, that was a stake in the ground for me as a young man. I chose my people. I chose who's gonna tell me who I am. Dr. Jim Dennison used to pastor a Baptist church in Dallas. When he was in college, he would go on mission trips to Malaysia. And he said one Sunday, uh, a young teenage girl came to get baptized in a bathtub and everyone celebrated. He noticed some old luggage by the wall. He said, what's that? That's hers. Her father told her if she became a Christian she could not come home, she has no home. She chose her people. All around the world, right now, today, Christians are risking their lives to choose their people. They are meeting underground. They are meeting in basements. They are meeting in hideaways. They are meeting in rooms with the windows darkened. And they know the risk. They could be imprisoned or worse. I wonder what does heaven think when it sees people who will take such risk to meet And then see other Christians who will make such excuses not to. Courageous faith chooses to identify with the people of God. Even when it understands, that means I don't get to choose the consequences. But mistreatment is worth it when you know what the kingdom of God is truly worth. Because you choose not just your people, but your treasure when you're bold for Christ. Salvation by faith is free. Living by faith can be costly. You see, Moses had access to unimaginable wealth in his day. If you had access to the treasures of Egypt, you would be one of the richest persons in history. But here's what the writer said. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And regarded means this was not a rash, impetuous decision. He thought about it. He prayed about it. He gave it thought. He looked at the consequences, and he made a choice. He concluded that the immediate was not ultimate. He says he was looking ahead to his reward. Now listen, if you're going to have a faith that your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to talk about, you're going to have to have the courage to declare the world's price tags are messed up. And if you don't, if you lust for the treasure of the world, when that lust is present, courage will be absent. And Jesus said this, He told a story about putting out the word of God. He compared it to seed, and it lands on different kinds of soil or different kinds of hearts. And here's one thing he said in Mark 4. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. When your real treasure is stuff and worldly things, where that avarice is present, cowardice will be present too. If you are going to be bold for Christ, you decide the riches I get from my union with Christ are more valuable to me than the stuff of the world. So when I was a baby preacher, I was blessed by the ministry of a couple from England named uh, Stuart and Jill Briscoe. Back then, if you wanted to hear someone's sermons, you had to get cassette tapes. And I would listen to their sermons on cassette tapes. Uh, Stuart and Jill did not grow up in Christian homes. Jill grew up in opulence. She literally grew up in an 800-year-old castle. She went to college. She met Stuart. They both met Jesus, decided to give their life to ministry. Her parents were horrified. They tried to seduce them out of that commitment by saying, come live with us in the castle, thinking a few months surrounded with this kind of wealth, and they'll give up the nonsense of a life of ministry. And she wrote her mother, I would rather live in a cottage with Christ than in a castle without him. Again, Spiritual courage means I'm willing to lose what I can't keep anyway so that I can have what I can never lose. And this is the choice the persecuted church is making around the world, and their faith is bearing fruit. So there's an organization called Open Doors, and they track every year the state of the church in the most persecuted nations in the world. They publish every year the the nations that are the most uh, persecuting Christians so their 2021 report came out the top 10 nations North Korea again was at the top Afghanistan was close by so was Nigeria Libya Pakistan India surprisingly China does not make the top 10 every day 13 people are killed Because they won't give up faith in Jesus. Stop just for a moment. And hear what I just said. Because what I just said is more important than the score of any football game you'll watch today. Or any test you'll take next week. Or any deal you'll try to negotiate in business. Every day, 13 people are killed because they will not recant their faith in Jesus. Every day, 12 people are put in prison for being Christians. Every day, five people are kidnapped and just disappear. And yet, in 2020, in these 10 nations that are the most uh, hostile to Christian faith, they numbered 260 million Christians. In 2021, they numbered 309. In one year. The church had grown by 20% in the nations on the earth where the faith is attacked the most. Because courageous faith is contagious faith. When you find people that will not give up Jesus for anything the world can offer, those who are not intimidated are often imitated. And their faith is worth remembering, not just, or not because they were hardly fearful, because they were humbly fearful. Courageous faith, you see, you choose your people, you choose your treasure, and you choose your fear. The text says Moses did not fear the king's anger. You've heard the phrase, like father, like son, in this case, like father and mother, like son. So here's the back story. For many years, the Hebrew people lived in Egypt with no problem. But a new pharaoh came along. And he got nervous at the way the Hebrew population was growing. And he did something that despots and rulers have done ever since, even today. The way to get your people to hate a people is to paint them as a threat. It happened in Nazi Germany. Germany. It happened in Croatia in the ethnic cleansing. It happened in Rwanda. It happens today. It's amazing the horrific evil people will tolerate if you can make them afraid of another kind of people. And so he said, throw the baby boys in the river and the people went along with it. Moses' father is named Amram. He comes home one day from a hard day of making bricks. His wife is Jacobed waiting for him. She's got a look on her face about half sad and half happy. And she says, I'm pregnant. There no sonogram back then. That means for eight months you wait not knowing if it will be a boy or a girl and wondering what are we going to do if it's a boy. It was a boy. And it says, they saw he was no ordinary child, which kind of tickles me. What parent says that about their kids? You know, like, like, no, no, my oldest is so athletic, and my next one is so artistic, and my third, just so average, just ordinary. No, but I think what the writer means is they saw this child is born at this time for a reason. In this moment in history, with the things that we're dealing with, God gave us this boy. And we're going to let the king of heaven decide the destiny of our son, not the king of Egypt. They weren't afraid. And they came up with a brilliant plan that wound up having Egypt raise the very one who would deliver his people from Egypt. Why does the Bible say, do not be afraid more than any other command? Well, think about it. What sin does the Bible condemn more than any other sin? Idolatry. There's a connection. Fear reveals your idols. When you put something where God belongs and you decide that something or that someone is going to be your security and your identity and your future, you've set yourself up for a life of fear because anything besides God can get threatened. Fear reveals your idols. And that's why it's so important to decide what you're going to fear. And Moses conquered the fear of one king by choosing to fear another. See, the foundation of all deliverance is the fear of the Lord. So lean in for a couple of minutes. We're going to go someplace we don't like to go. We're going to talk about judgment and hell and fear. Just remember, I am not the letter writer. I'm the mailman. I'm going to bring you some words from Jesus. Let me say that again. Words from Jesus. Don't massage them. Don't doctor them. Let Jesus say what he said. He's speaking to his disciples. He's sending them out on their first mission trip. He knows there's going to be hostility. Three times he says, don't be afraid, including this time Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. Who can destroy both soul and body in hell? Another translation says, save your fear for God. This is what Jesus did. Jesus feared the Lord. And that's why he was the most fearless person who ever Lived. Look at this prophecy about Jesus from the book of Isaiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Savior or the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the Spirit of understanding and wisdom, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord was precious to Jesus. He reveled. In his fear of the Lord. So you go back to the Old Testament, you look at the Psalms and the Proverbs, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, one thing it means is that you're overwhelmed by his awesomeness. God is spectacular. There's no one like him. It means you're convinced of his faithfulness because he's on the throne. So everything he has purposed will come about. It means you are certain of his goodness. That God can be trusted because he's always going to do the right thing. To fear the Lord is not to be terrified of the Lord. It is to be satisfied in the Lord. It is to say, God, you are enough. You are powerful. You are good. You are sovereign. You are holy. There is no one like you, and I can trust you completely. And so Psalm 147, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. To fear God is to be so aware of His presence and His sovereignty and His goodness that nothing else can intimidate you. So back to Hugh Latimer. He preached one Sunday to King Henry VIII and the king got offended. Henry did that a lot. And Henry demanded that Hugh Latimer come back next Sunday and apologize. So next Sunday, Hugh Latimer showed up in front of the king. Now, I'm going to paraphrase the King James of what he said. He stood before the king. He said, take heed, Hugh Latimer. You stand before the mighty king of England who can in a moment throw your body into jail. So be careful what you say. But then, Hugh Latimer, remember who sent you, the king of heaven, who can throw your body into hell. So, Hugh Latimer, be careful what you say. And then he preached without apology, the exact same sermon he preached the week before, only with more passion Because when you fear God, you have the courage to face all your other fears. This is how Peter put it. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And that brings us to the very last phrase. The author said that Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Did you catch the irony of that phrase? He saw someone who's invisible. That people of great courage have great vision. They have the capacity to see what other people can't see. Now this reminds me of one of my favorite Old Testament stories. The prophet Elisha is being chased by king of Aram. He surrounds an entire city with his army. The next morning, Elisha and the servant wake up, and the servant is petrified. And the prophet says, 2 Kings 6, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. People who live an unintimidated life can see a reality that most can't see. I'll put it this way. Faith is invincible when it sees the invisible. And this is why the church is always going to need the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the last book of the Bible... It's a time when the church is being persecuted. People are being thrown into jail. People are being tortured. People are losing their jobs. People like John are in exile. What does the church need? A revelation of Jesus Christ. And so John shares with the church what he saw. In chapter 1, an image of Christ hair white as snow, eyes like fire, face shiny like the sun. In chapter 19, the same Christ with a sword coming out of his mouth on a white horse with a robe and on the robe it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. What the church always needs to battle fear is a vision of who the real king is. We need to see what others cannot see. We need more Open my eyes, prayers, because faith worth remembering sees the only king that matters. And so I close with this story. It comes from the mission field where we're doing some work in a nation that's hostile to the faith. And there's a village, and in that village there was a tree that was dying, and suddenly it came back to life. And the local witch doctor claimed his contact with demonic powers was the reason. He drew a circle around the tree and said, it's holy ground. People were scared to death of that circle. They would not go close to that tree, except Daniel. Daniel had found a relationship with Jesus because of our mission work. He's walking through the village with some friends. Says, "I want to climb that tree." They try to stop him. "I want to climb that tree." He crosses the circle. He climbs the tree. The whole village gathers, thinking he's going to drop dead any minute. He doesn't. He climbs down. He gives his first ever sermon. Jesus made all the trees. Jesus is Lord of every tree. He has drawn a circle around the whole universe because it all belongs to him. And that day, Daniel showed a village the kind of courage you can have when you know who the real king is. We don't have to live the way we're living. Anxious, frightened, nervous, fearful you do not have to live an intimidated life Jesus can make you brave but you have to make a choice so I want you to bow your heads now every campus and online I want to pray over you before I do though here's what I want you to do I want you to lift up to God the thing that you're most afraid of right now he already knows but it's it's I think healing for us to be honest and admit it. So just take a couple of minutes of silence. You lift up to the Lord the thing right now that fills you with the most fear. Oh God, you are awesome. You are speck. Spectacular! You are able right now in this moment to receive and see all of these fears and hear every heart behind them. And so God opened their eyes. Open their eyes to see the myriad of angels that wait to do your bidding. Open their eyes to see demons trembling at the name of Jesus. Open their eyes to see the new heaven and the new earth that is coming soon. Open their eyes to see that Jesus is still on the throne and will always be. Oh God, open our eyes. To see the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to hear him say, don't be afraid. We ask this in his name. Amen.